Exodus chapter 20 starts a new genre within the Old Testament canon. We've been prepared with about 70 chapters of narrative with a few scatterings of poetry here and there. And then in chapter 20, we finally get to meet the thou shalls and thou shall nots. Exodus chapter 20 is the Ten Commandments. When we consider our relationship to the law as New Testament Christians, many people look down on the law. You read through the New Testament and you will read that we are guilty before the law, that the law has condemned us to death, that it's powerless to save us. And as a result, it's been abolished and we now live under grace with Jesus. And so most people coming back to the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law that follows, they kind of wonder, why bother? Well, the law gets a bad rap in the New Testament because Paul is usually trying to correct a serious misunderstanding and misapplication of the law in his own day. That is, the law was never meant to lead us to salvation. And so Paul is confronting those who had distorted the law. Quite a few people today have it backwards as well. The thought is that once I become good enough, or once I do enough good deeds, then I will have earned my salvation. But the Exodus story has it the other way around. First we are saved, then we obey the law. We have to understand that God does not start off his story with instructions on how to be blessed and saved by him. It starts with him beginning the plan of salvation through Abraham for no reason other than his own grace. The law is only given after God had already saved Israel from Egypt. The law did not save Israel. God did not say, I will save you if you keep all these commands. God had already done all of that. Grace first, obedience second. Keep in mind the story so far. We've had 19 chapters of salvation in Exodus, and then we get the law. God saved, and then he made a covenant. But he was never under a covenant obligation to save them in the first place. So let's do away with the notion that God only saves people after they get good enough. Paul himself writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, saying that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Obeying the law does not earn you grace. Obeying the law is a response to grace. And this is why God prefaces these ten commands with verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. At the broadest level of the law are these Ten Commandments found in Exodus chapter 20 verses 1 through 17. And these function as the foundation of the rest of the law. All the other specific laws that we find throughout the Old Testament find their roots here. It is always useful to connect a specific law back to one of these ten. For example, we're told explicitly in chapter 20 verse 13, you shall not murder. But then murder is given a fuller treatment in passages such as Exodus chapter 21, verses 28 through 32, where a man can be responsible for murder if he doesn't control his oxen who are violent. The Ten Commandments are structured so that laws concerning God come first and relationships with your neighbors second. This is why Jesus can sum up the entirety of the law as loving God with your heart, soul, and mind, and the second, loving your neighbor as yourself. Commands 1 through 4 all deal with God. The first commandment states that he is the only God to be worshipped. The Exodus has shown that the Egyptian gods were useless, and so were any other gods. The Lord demands exclusive obedience. The second command is that you cannot make an idol of God. 
This upsets the balance of creation by representing the Creator with what has been created. Since God is so far above the universe, it is an insult to His glory to have Him portrayed or figured as anything that has been created. The third commandment is to not take the Lord's name in vain. Whenever you see the title LORD in all capital letters in your Old Testament, that is a stand-in for the personal name of God, which most people believe to be pronounced as Yahweh. The Jews began to hold the name as so sacred that it was forbidden to be said aloud, even while reading it in Scripture. Personally, I think that if God didn't want us to use his name, he wouldn't have given it to us, and he also wouldn't have included it in the Psalms that we are to be singing to him. To use the Lord's name in vain is not to pronounce it. It is to call yourself one of his while disobeying him. It'd be like wearing a cross necklace while robbing a bank. You're identifying yourself as God's, but for no purpose. The fourth commandment is the Sabbath. Israel had left behind a life of slavery, and God had given them rest. And just as he rested on the seventh day of creation, he wants his people to enter into that same rest. Commands five through six all relate to our treatment of one another. It is respect for your parents for life, for marriage, a respect for personal property, the truth, and the gifts that God has given. God's people are to be satisfied with what we've been provided with and without coveting after others. Our obedience to this law is not just our service to God, but the law is God's gift to us. Imagine a world where God doesn't have a law, where we have no proper understanding of how to love God or how to love our neighbor. God gives us a proper and ordered life where communities can live in peace through his law. It wasn't given just for God's good pleasure so he could tell us what to do, but the law is really a further extension of God's grace. By obeying his commands, we have the key for living the good life. And so as we reflect on the law as Christians, we need to understand that our own obedience to Jesus is not done so that he will die all over for us. He's already died on the cross for us. Our obedience and our transformative lives are to be in honor of that sacrifice that he has given to us purely out of grace.